Um, and we are in part two of our Awaken series to the book of Second Thessalonians. And I entitled today's message, Waking Up to Maturity. And I want to talk about what it means to grow in Christianity. If you are brand new to this, the whole idea about us using phrases like, man, how's your walk with God going? You're growing in the Lord. All that doesn't even make any sense to you. Like, what do you mean? Am I growing, uh, growing in God? What, is, what does that even mean? Like growing into a God? What are you trying to say? No, 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 no. All I mean is something very basic. And it's this. When you first come into Christianity, it's all new. And so you feel like you're swimming in a huge pool where you feel like you don't even know how to swim. You know that there is Jesus. You know that he died for your sins. And so you have said, whatever that's all about, I need that. And you responded to him and cried out that he would come into your life. Well, what do you do from there? Hopefully you are now on a journey walking with God as he reveals himself. And along the way, you learn more stuff. You understand experientially more stuff. You engage with God more through prayer and reading his word, right? That's called growing up in Jesus Christ. Now, what does maturity mean? Well, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. Uh, maturity does not mean you become perfect. That is not what it means. There was only one that was sinless that walked this earth, and that was Jesus Christ. All the rest of us have some serious issues, all right? But we can get to a place where we are rightly handling the word of God. We can get to a place where we're not completely overhauling our faith every other day. We can get to the place where we're not knocked back and forth by everything that comes across our desk. We can be stable, committed, experiencing God, connected with him, and growing. That would be considered maturity. Now I'll tell you, what maturity has to mean, I'm going to give you the easiest definition I can think of. What maturity has to mean spiritually is Christ-likeness, right? Why? Because the Bible says that in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwelt. So all of God was present in Jesus Christ. So if we want to be more godly, it only makes sense that we are more like Jesus, yeah? So let's not make it more complicated than it is. The problem is, is that all of us see Jesus differently. And that's where it gets complicated. Anytime you're trying to duplicate a life, not even a life that's being lived out in front of you, but a life that was written down about by four authors primarily telling you about his life, they only included the stories that made their point about him. Matthew included what he wanted to say about Christ. John included what he wanted to say about Christ. They did not give you everything he did. They did. As a matter of fact, John said, if we wrote down everything Jesus said and did, not all the books in the world could contain that information. So there's a lot of gaps. So for example, it'll say, and Jesus healed this man. Well, what did it look like? I don't know. Well, Jesus taught this parable and people were saved like right away or like later on. So we put a lot of assumption to fill in the gaps. What that does is it leaves us all in a very dangerous place. 
that we would fashion Jesus in our own minds and make him to be something that he is not. Some of us see Jesus as extra funny. Some of us see Jesus as super serious. Some of us see Jesus as powerful and forceful. Some of us see him as meek and gentle. Some of us see him as hyper communicative. Others of us see him as his words were few. So which is it? Which, what was Jesus really like in all those ways? Well, the, the truth of the matter is we don't fully know. So we have to look at the big picture and kind of move in that direction. But we fall into three common traps that I found in our maturity thing. When we say spiritually mature, you will become what you worship. So if you think that Jesus is primarily a teacher teaching you about the nature of God, then you're going to be hardcore about knowledge and doctrine. Does that make sense? As a matter of fact, one of the errors, errors that we fall into is that some of us think that maturity is only knowledge. If I only knew more stuff about God, if I only knew more facts, if I only knew more stuff about the Bible, then I would be spiritually mature. Here's the problem with that. The Pharisees knew more than the disciples and they weren't saved. Whoops. It can't only be knowledge. Knowledge doesn't always equate to maturity spiritually. It can lead to information and facts. Is it good? Yes. Is the word of God necessary to know? Absolutely, but it can't be the only thing you do. Jesus was not only a teacher. Jesus was not only the one that established our doctrine. There's more stuff in there. Well, another area that we fall into is that some of us see Jesus as a miracle worker. And that's it. Everywhere we look in scripture, he was healing somebody, walking on water. He was calming the wind and the waves. He was casting out demons. It would say things like, and the whole village came to him with all their sick and he healed them all. You know how long that takes? And so everyone was wowed. And the reason why people followed him was that he would feed 5,000 people with loaves and fishes. And some of us get so enamored with the supernatural aspect that we only want the experiential. We only want the miraculous we only want that type of power and then we end up falling into error in other ways because we've only focused on that which we can try to experience and touch and then we fall away in doctrine well then there's some of us that look at jesus and we go jesus was just a nice guy you know all he did was make everybody's life easier because he went around and he would heal people that were hurting and he would talk to the little kids and he was always nice to the widows and then he would kind of move around and try to make sure everybody's life was more comfortable because he was always talking about, hey, if somebody needs clothes, you give them clothes. If, if somebody's sick, you help them out. If somebody's hungry, you give them food, right? And some of us have shaped our whole Christianity around making other people's lives easier. So we're interested in building them homes and going out on missions to where we can uh, make sure that we end poverty and we worry about, right? Is that only what Jesus did? No. So what was the beauty of Christ and what are we shooting for? The beauty of Christ was that he was all these things and more concurrently. That's what makes him so powerful. It wasn't that he only did one thing really good. It was that he across the board was the balanced 
viewpoint of God. So his truth was also meted out with grace and his compassion was also balanced by strength. And that's what made him so awesome. So when we start only growing in one part of our body, it would be like a bodybuilder working out one limb only over and over and over. If you saw a guy with huge right leg, you just call him a freak. He's not, you don't look and go, man, that guy's healthy. It's just one enormous tree trunk leg, right? That he has to move like this. That's how a lot of Christians appear because we're only focusing on one thing and trying to be an expert at that. But Jesus Christ went through and revealed all of God's nature, which is why we need to know the full counsel of God in his word. So as we enter into this time, Paul is going to be talking about three elements of where we should grow and understand God is the one that causes the growth. I want you to begin with me this morning in Ephesians. I realize we're in a second Thessalonians series, but let's begin in Ephesians 4:11. I want to just show you kind of God's plan for building us up and God's plan for building up the church in general. Ephesians 4:11. It says this. He, meaning God, to the church he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So he gave all this leadership to be able to lay a foundation of a variety. Why? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's why when you come into Bridgeway, our philosophy of ministry is that we are here to equip you For the work of the ministry that every other moment in all of your week, you go out and carry out the ministry. You are only here to get trained up, equipped, encouraged, convicted, whatever it is, to be transformed in Christ, to go out and be Christ to the rest of the world. That's kind of how it has to work. Until, how long should we do this? Verse 13. Until we all, you guys, what does all mean in Greek? All, praise the Lord. (laughs) Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and womanhood, by the way, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. What does he mean by children? Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Love. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. It's time to go to the next level. It's time to go to the next level. What I do not mean is that Christianity is a series of levels or you have to unlock chambers of mystery and all that bogus garbage. What I mean is it's time to engage with God in a deeper way. Whatever that means for you. It may be for some of you, the idea of going to the next level is engaging with God on a consistent basis with morning devotion. Maybe that's something that you don't do in your life. And you go, ah, that's not really a big deal to me. 
Maybe that's an area you need to stretch and grow because you're being discipled by the world every other moment. So it's important to have a consistent input from the Lord, right? So maybe we need to do that for some of us. Like recently for me, I had to grow up in prayer because the Lord was looking and going, kid, that ain't going to fly. This whole, you know, your prayer life. Hey, I appreciate you love me. I appreciate we have an intimacy. I appreciate all of our connection. Here's the thing. Your prayer life stinks, right? I mean, there's always that little bit of embarrassment and humiliation when you realize, wow, I'm not good at that. I had to grow up and I'm still learning. But there's a whole bunch of areas like that. Whatever the Lord is laying on your heart of saying, you got to chase me in this. That's where we need to grow. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to go through another astounding two verses today. I know. We're actually going to be picking it up here pretty soon. Next week, we actually have more than two verses. So that's, that's great. So we did two verses last week, two, or two verses this week. Uh, we got the map on the screen up there for you. In case you're wondering where Thessalonica is, it's in Greece. And you can see that on the map if you're looking for a little bit of geography grounding here. So let's take a look. I'm just going to read two verses. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Paul mentions three areas that they were growing and he wanted to tell them, well done. Those areas are faith, love, and perseverance. So let's tear it apart. We ought to, that word and translation in Greek says we can't do otherwise. We must do this. We would be wrong not to. We ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers because that's what's right to do. And you go, man, Paul, just give him a compliment and move on. Really? Why do you have to qualify everything? Because in one of Paul's prior letters, people were questioning his character and saying he was a flatterer. Oh, Paul, you just want everyone to follow you, so all you do is tell them nice things. So Paul goes, let me be very clear on something. If I open up this letter and I give you a compliment on where you're growing, it's legitimate. I'm not interested in trying to flatter you and get everybody to appreciate me and like me. No, 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 no. I'm telling you, there's no way I'm moving on without commenting on this. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith, present tense, is currently growing abundantly. That phrase means exceedingly beyond expectation. Now, if Paul is stunned at the growth of the Thessalonian church, you got to ask why. Why is Paul so impressed? Because they had a lot of things against them. What does it mean to grow in your faith? Well, Bible talks about this a little bit. Jesus told a parable, the parable of the sower. Some of you know this. It says that a farmer went out and he scattered seed. And as he scattered the seed, some of it bounced onto the path and it was on a rocky surface and there was nothing for it to grow into. And so the birds came down and took it away. He said that is like when your heart is so hard that even if God tried to talk to you, it's not going to matter. Even if you read the Bible, you're not willing to engage with it. And so it falls on a hard heart, and so Satan just 
takes it away. He said, then there was some seed that bounced into into an area that had a little bit of dirt. So that sprang up quickly, but there was no root. So the minute it got hot, it burned it up. He said, those are the people that when you hear the word of God or read the word of God or talk about the gospel of Christ or engage with the Lord and he communicates to you, you get all fired up in the moment, but you got nothing to carry it on with. You just, it just dies the minute you walk out the door. He said, then there's some that bounced over into an area where although it had pretty deep soil, there were thorns there and they choked out whatever grew there. He said, that is the folks that hear me, really want to do well, really love me, but you know what? They still think of me as an add-on to their lives, and eventually the concerns and cares of this world crush out their Christianity. But then, there are some seed that landed right on perfect soil, ready, eager, and it grew up into this incredible harvest. So what was the difference with that one? Because they heard the word of God. Some of us don't even hear it very often. They heard the word of God. They locked it in. They had open and ready hearts. They committed to it. They surrendered to the agenda of God. And they said, God, I'm all in. And when things got bad, they said, I'm still all in. That's how you mature. Truth matters, but only insofar as it encourages relationship remember demons know more information than you do right so at all times balance that out it's not facts it's not information it's relationship so why do we want to know more of the bible so we know more about the one we love if you merely decided to get married on this premise hey she's into me I'm into her. Good. We're good. And you got married. And then she's like, so how are you doing? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's with all the talkie talkie? (laughs) We're good. Okay. Do you understand that's not a relationship? If you know no information about the person that you are with, is there any depth there? The answer to that, of course, is no. Well, a lot of us immediately go, no, no, no. I got enough of Jesus. That's good. That's good. No, no, no. I don't want to know anymore. I'm good. What? Wait, 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 I thought you were trying to fall in love with God. Then how do you not want to know more about God? That doesn't make any sense. Let me give you an example. If I drop a bomb like, hey, let's talk about the Trinity, and everyone goes, hey, and they all get nervous, right? I don't understand that. Three gods. No, it's not three gods. It's, it's three people. No, it's not three people. It's, it's, you know. Here's the deal. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here's something incredible. The Father initially communicated to man and kept calling them to himself, saying, I want to spend time with you. Then he tag-teamed to the second person of the Trinity, known as the Son of God, and he walked alongside mankind and said, I want to walk and be with you and spend time with you. And then he tag-teamed the Holy Spirit, and he went indwelt into the hearts of people so that everywhere they went, he was always present there. Now, does that not make you go, hey, God loves me? Okay, so if you deny and refuse to think about anything that you don't want to stretch your mind to figure out, you're going to miss all that great stuff. You're going to miss some of that relational connection stuff. That's why we want to know the Bible. Only insofar as it encourages relationship to love God more, 
and love people more. If you're reading and the more you read, the more you hate people, we have a problem. Peter, Paul, not Mary, and the author of Hebrews all used a phrase, milk versus solid food. And what they meant was milk being the basics of Christianity, solid food meaning the deeper stuff. Now, when you're a baby, milk is entirely appropriate. You don't throw a T-bone at a toddler. Here, kid, gnaw on that, right? That's inappropriate. In the same way, if an adult only lives off milk every day, it doesn't do a body good. You see what I mean? You can't just live off milk. You got to grow up. Why? Because an adult has to train up muscles to be able to do what they're supposed to do. And that needs a variety of things being involved. But if you're a baby, if you're new, you don't need to jump into the deep end. You need to begin to understand Jesus and grow in your love. There's nothing wrong with that. All right. What's the second thing he says? Not only are you growing in your faith, he said, beyond expectations, but you are growing in the love, the agape of every one of you for one another. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? You remember this? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What's interesting is in one of the gospel accounts, he goes on and says that the scribe that asked him that replied, you are right in saying so, for love is greater than sacrifice. Only one gospel writer says that. And Jesus, seeing that he had answered wisely, encourages him. He said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, love is so important. It is a matter of fact, the hinge point of all Christianity. If you remove love, Christianity collapses. It is the critical hinge point. Jesus said, upon love for God and one another, all the law and prophets hang. So if you take it off, they fall down. Therefore, you cannot grow in maturity in Christianity without growing in love. So if you're not more loving now than you were a year ago, you are not growing in the best ways. You go, what do, I, what do you mean like loving? What, I just got to be a nicer person? No. Let's read this. Turn with me. You got to keep your finger there. But turn with me to Romans twelve nine. Love is so critical that Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by what? By your love, not Bible trivia. They will know you're my disciples. What? Because you're awkward? No. By your love. That is actually the hallmark sign that you're legitimately a Christian, a Christ follower. When Peter was reinstated after denying Christ three times, Jesus said, what? Do you love me? He went through it over and over and over. Do you love me? He asked him three times. And every time Peter said, you know that I do, he said, then start loving my people. Take care of my people. Because this whole gig about I love God, but I hate his followers isn't flying. We are the bride of Christ. I don't know how many buddies you have where you go, I hate your wife. She's ugly. Whoa. What? Oh, no, we don't have a friendship. That's not going to fly. 
I understand you're frustrated with my wife. I understand that the children of God get you mad. I understand that they do stupid things, but you're not allowed to just say, God, I only want to love you and I don't want to love any of your people. That's not acceptable. So what do, what are we talking about? Where's the bar of love for the Christian? Check this out. It's in Romans, Romans 12, nine, let love be genuine. This whole, yeah, I love everybody. And you're just, it's just a plastic phrase. No bad. That's not going to work. God's going, Nope, doesn't count. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. That's called feelings. This whole, I'm more stoic. I don't really have any feelings for anybody. Listen, robot (laughs) grow. Well, I'm only so shallow. Okay. Counseling. Love one another with brotherly affection, have feelings for, not just tolerate. That's different. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Are you doing that? Are you actively loving someone tangibly by investing in their lives financially? No, well, there's an area to grow and seek to show hospitality. Are you spending any time with other people that need it? Are you having coffee with them? Are you opening your home? Are you, this is what I'm talking about. The agape love that Jesus demonstrated for us is so extraordinary that we have to grow in this area. We don't just get to go. Well, I I like a couple people. Look at verse 14. It even goes further. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, right? 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Until our love is extraordinary for those that are our enemies, we have yet to mature. The Thessalonians were way over the top in these areas. Do you understand why Paul had to comment on it? Going, man, your love in the midst of a terrible existence is brilliant. So look at verse four. What was the third area? Therefore, we ourselves boast about you. We brag about you to all the other churches we work in because of your steadfastness and faithfulness in all your persecutions from people that hate the gospel And in all the afflictions or pressures or troubles of any kind, painful circumstances that you are enduring. Enduring is a cool Greek word that means you stand up under it. You don't wiggle to get out. You patiently wait through it that God may finish his work in you without obliquing. What's the point? The Thessalonians were getting tore up. Persecutions from the outside, hardship from the inside, getting beat up all the time, and yet their love was excelling. They were hanging in there. They didn't care what happened to them. They were all in all the time. And Paul said, I have to comment on that. So what is that? What do we do with hardship? We, of course, we don't like hardship. I get that. But it's because we don't fully understand it. 
Satan brings temptation to destroy you. God allows testing to build muscle. You cannot build muscle without resistance. So we spend the majority of our time praying for comfort. And what that means is no muscle development. So what we're praying for is flabby faith. You understand what I'm talking about? Now, praise the Lord. He doesn't answer all our prayers and lets us go through the ringer. Right? Praise the Lord that he is the one that goes, no, this isn't appropriate. If I really answered you, you would spiritually look like the future people of Wally. Anybody see the cartoon Wally? One of the most brilliant concepts about the future. It's this little robot in the future and all the people just sit in a floating chair and read TVs all the time. They don't go anywhere. And so they've gotten so big, their bones don't even connect. They're just, they, and so one fell out of his chair and he's like, help, he can't even move. And someone has to pick him and put him back up in the chair. If God answered all of our prayers, that's the Christians we would be. Because every time something bad happens, God, stop it. Every time some hurt comes in, God, get rid of it. Every time we talk about our future, God, make it easy. Every time there's a decision, God, give me the real, the real answer so I don't ever fail. At some point, that's not healthy. As a matter of fact, James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. If you let steadfastness have its full effect, then you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Don't you think that's more important? Romans 5, 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So how ought we to deal with suffering? We accept it. We don't try to bail out under it. We say, God, what are you trying to teach me? We pray against elements of it to see whether or not it's an attack from the outside that's unnecessary. If God wants us to walk under it, we say, yes, God, I choose you. That's how we handle suffering. And if we do that, it strengthens us spiritually. All right, so let's wrap this thing up. Couple things. Number one. Just as much as we are to grow individually, we grow as a church. The Bible says that we together, like living stones, are being built up for a place to go, for God to dwell among us. I want Bridgeway, this local expression of the body, as well as our region, to be so tracking with the Lord that he can walk among us and everything he desires happens here. Lives are changed. People are saved and rescued. Addictions are broken. Marriages are healed. Parenting relationships are soothed. Stuff like that. Why cannot that occur in mass? And a lot of it's because we're not in on God's agenda and growing together. The other thing is be very careful of performance concept where, man, I got to grow and I got to do everything and I got to make God love me more. Stop. The Bible says that you are to prepare the soil. He causes the growth. You can't make yourself super spiritually mature. That's that weird concept of surrender that he would build you up. As opposed to, I'm going to make myself the most spiritual person ever. No. That's going to ruin it. And as we close, I have an encouragement for two groups of you. The first one is the group of you that probably have been in the Lord 10 years or more. And honestly, you're content with where you're at spiritually. 
Paul, who has completely surpassed all of us, no matter how mature we think we are, said this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I don't have considered that I made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and let those of us who are mature think this way. You are never too old to grow. You need to grow right out of this life. On your deathbed, you're growing Because even that suffering and that challenge is transforming your heart. We grow all the way through this life. There is never a time when you have just arrived. You may be mature for years and decades, but that does not mean that you are perfect. And there is always a straining to God. What more can I know about you? If all eternity... We will be learning new revelations about God. I think in this life, we have a lot to learn. The way that I've always done this practically for me is just an illustration I'll give you. I've given to you years ago, but let me give it to you again. I want you to picture a huge wheel, like the wheel of fortune, right? Where it has little pieces of pie. You know how that works? It looks like a big divided up piece of pie. And in the center is a dial and it has an arrow. And each one of the pieces of pie say something different about Christianity. So for example, one would say prayer. One would say missions. One would say intimacy with God. One would say spiritual disciplines. One would say love for other people. One would say self-sacrifice, right? There's just all of them all the way around the wheel. What I do is I work on the one that God has in front of me. And the minute I feel like I'm starting to get traction there and I'm growing and I achieve some type of maturity there, I click one more to the right. And I start all over again. And then I grow and I grow and I grow and then I click and go all over again into something new. That way, I'm always in a growth pattern of saying I'm not there yet. As a matter of fact, humility becomes a lot easier when you always feel like you're behind. right? Because I'm always going, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm always swimming in some water that's too deep for me because I always know there's more of God to know. My final encouragement is to those of you that feel like you completely ruined it. You used to walk with God. As a matter of fact, you've completely ruined your life and you have this guilt thing and God, you know what? I'll never be mature now. God's given up on me. I have an awesome encouragement for you. Y'all remember the story of Samson? Biggest loser in the Bible, right? There's no one that had a better setup and ruined the whole thing. All right. So he had all these gifts from God and he just ruined all of it. As a matter of fact, by the end of the story, he is in the enemy temple of Dagon. He has had his eyes gouged out his hair where God's strength was in that he had that completely shaved off. So he's blind and he pushes around, um, a grinding wheel all day long in the dark dungeon. So if you want to talk about someone that's fallen apart in life, where you were at the top and now you're at the bottom, it was Samson. Best line ever in that whole story, in my opinion. And his hair began to grow back. You remember that? What does that mean? You all know how the story ends? His hair began to grow back as a sign of God's grace. And there, when they took him out by a little child to go entertain everybody in the party, 
of all the bad guys. They placed him between two pillars so he would at least know where he's at because he's blinded. And there he prayed, God, I made a mess of everything. But you have allowed my hair to grow back. And I believe in your grace and I'm asking that one more time you would give me the ability to serve you and to be effective for your kingdom. And the Holy Spirit came upon him and he shoved the pillars down and killed more of the bad guys in his death than he ever did in his life. If you feel like you've ruined it, maybe you have, but God is better than that. He has second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. Why? Because his grace is extravagant and unending. As long as you are here in this world, you can turn around and say, God, I want you and I want to grow right here, right now. And you forget what is past and you run forward for God. This is a call to some of us today. Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for your encouragements and your grace that falls upon us. Thank you for your conviction for us to engage with you afresh and not to just be content sitting back and allowing life to go by. Lord, give us traction that we might run with you and know you and be enraptured by you. Lord, where we would be so excited every day to get up and wonder what we're going to do with you. So, Father, would you put your passion in our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.